Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm your soup kitchen uh, preacher today. Uh, Not trained, not really worth uh, paying for, but it'll keep you alive. So... uh, it's good to be here, and I hope that maybe you can uh, glean a little something from at least what I've been thinking about the, the last, last little while. I'd like to take us through a little walk back in time through the Old Testament, and I'm sure you've all had, you know, have gleaned some things through the Old Testament over the years Back in the days of Samuel, Samuel was a prophet, and he had two sons, and those two sons did wickedly. And they perverted justice, is what it said in, in the book of Samuel there. And Samuel was, I'm sure he was torn in his heart about what his sons were doing. But the people of Israel at that time they got really worked up about this and really upset. And they were like, we're sick and tired of this. We want somebody to lead us and we want a king. And so they cried out to Samuel and said, look, we're we're tired of your sons doing this to us. We want somebody to lead us and we want a king. Well, Samuel was distraught about this. I'm sure about his sons. And now he's distraught that the people of Israel wanted a king. And he goes to God about it. And God says to him, Listen, Samuel, don't you worry yourself about this. They haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. And so on the basis of that, what comes about is a whole lineage of kings. It starts out with Saul. Everyone, I hope, knows of Saul and the things that he'd done. He was like one of these guys that was really handsome and tall and strong, you know, and everybody would just look at him and say, like, oh, that guy right there, he can lead. He looks good, you know. But unfortunately, Saul, you know, things got to his head. He looked good. He had some good hair. He was tall. But he took the people of Israel astray, right? Now, look, that helps gives me, that gives me a little bit of hope right here. I have no hair. And I sure ain't looking good. But hey, I'm still here, right, kicking. But Saul, he took the people of God the wrong direction. You know, away from God. He turned away from God. He got jealous. Then we have David, right? We have Saul. Then we have David. David, uh, excuse if I got a big mouth, just turn me down, Jamie. I'm, I sound kind of loud up here. But David came next after Saul. Right? David was a man after God's own heart, right? So we have Saul, we have David, and then David's son Solomon, okay? Solomon started out really, really good, and as the years went on, he kind of waned in his faith and in his confidence in God. He got so much, he became so overwhelmed with stuff and goods and wives and things, and he, he was so wise, and people were coming from all across the, the, you know, the globe, so to speak, in that day, that he just got puffed up, and he got full of himself, and 
his wives, it says, the scripture says that his wives turned him off from the things of God onto the worship of Baal and Asherah. So then in Solomon's day, God said, well, look, this, I'm going to punish you for this. And so what happened at that point, we have two, there's two kingdoms. We have, at that point in time, Solomon, by uh, uh, punishment from God, the kingdom was split into two. So we had ten tribes in the, king, in, the, uh, in the kingdom of Israel, and two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, in the tribe of Judah. Okay? I hope you're following me with this, because I'm going somewhere eventually. So this is where there's, it becomes really interesting, because the northern kingdom, which is Israel, they had a lot of problems. And so did the southern ki- kingdom of Judah, which was Judah and Benjamin. Now, Jerusalem would have been the capital of, of Judah at that time. So we got, we got all Israel. Everybody knows where Israel is on the map. You'd be able to point it out. You have a northern and you have a southern. The northern is Israel. The southern is Judah. So what happened was you have the, the, uh, the kingdom of Israel wanting to control the kingdom of Judah. And this became a real problem. There, there was a lot of infighting in the kings of Israel and the king, through, with the kings of Judah. Where I would like to break in, and I'm going to skip down a couple few kings. I just wanted to whet your appetite and kind of give you a, a, a baseline. Where I want to break in is at King Asa. All right. There was a king in Judah. His name was Asa. Asa reigned 41 years, okay? This is in Judah. And his son, Jehoshaphat, after him, reigned 25 years. So we have, a, we have a period of time here in Judah where we have two good kings. Asa was considered a godly king, although we can see a little bit later on how he waned in his faith in God in the last couple years of his, of his reign. If you want to turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if you want to, or you can turn to 17 if you want. You can follow along a little bit. Uh, actually, if you go back to, uh, go back to four, uh, chapter 14 of 2 Chronicles, this is uh, four, chapter 14, verse 2. It says, Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord God. He removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram. Now, the, okay, we hear a lot about Baal and Asherah. Baal was the male god, lowercase g. Asherah was the female, lowercase g, god. So you have, and this was a very common practice back in the, those days where they would worship these idols. So you'd have Baal, them, and these people were very adamant in their worship of these false gods, the people even around Israel, and that's what drew them in, which they would sacrifice their children to these gods. Uh, There was a lot of going back and forth about the things going on with these gods and how they influenced Israel. But Asa came in and he tore some of these uh, pillars and cut them down. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord. This is what Asa did. God their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. 
Uh, if you turn, if you look over in verse 15, and you'll see how in verse 15, verse, uh, verse 2, chapter 15, verse 2, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with Him, and if you seek Him, He will let you find Him. Isn't that an interesting portion of Scripture right there that I think speaks to all of us even today? If you seek God, He's going to make Himself be found of you. Right? He will let you find Him. How many of us are, can say, you know, I seek God and I've found Him? Just like the Scripture said. He does do that for us. We'll move on down to, let's flip on over to verse, uh, chapter 16 of 2 Chronicles. So, this is towards the end of Asa's reign. Okay, the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel. Okay, Baasha is before Ahab. Everybody knows who Ahab is, all right? Ahab and Jezebel, right? Every time we hear the name Jezebel, we shudder, right? Because that lady was horrible. Well, this, she's, they're coming after this, but Asa's reign, uh, in the 36th year of Asa's reign, so what we have here is Asa is at a place where he's like, Baash is threatening him and basically saying, I'm going to come in and I'm going to invade and we're going to take care of you and we're going to get you in order. And Asa's like, mm, let me see if I can do a little bit of finagling here and a little bit of bartering with this man rather than seek the Lord. Well, what happened is Asa did some bartering with Baasha and they end up, he ended up paying him off or something like that and ended up, being a horrible thing because really God was very disappointed. God was like, I would have, I would have watched out for you. I would, have, I would have been there for you. But Asa did uh, mess up right there. You know, that's the interesting thing about Scripture, too. We read a lot about people, both the good and the bad, which is honestly very encouraging to me because if I just read the stories of these godly men and all I read was the good things about them, I'd feel really down in the dumps because I got a lot of problems myself, you know? So I look at this and I say, you know, this is a good reminder to me. You know, don't ever get to the place where you're willing to compromise with Satan and with sin in your life. You know, we're all tempted, we're all drawn away at times, but we need to hold that fast, that, you know, we need to keep our faith and our trust in God. You know that scripture, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's verse 9 of this chapter. That's actually in the sequence of what's going on right here. God gives that. And... Uh, of course, Asa got angry, uh, and then he threw that guy in prison who said that, so that didn't turn out too good either for him. But Asa ended up passing on. Jehoshaphat, his son, at that point, took over. Okay, Jehoshaphat walked in the ways, it says he walked in the ways of his father, David. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. Asa was... I think, 
Now, you, this is where I want you all to remember. Look, in Acts chapter 17, I'm just going to read a verse to you. Acts chapter 17. There, there were some people called the Bereans, right? So I'm up here scattering all this information out to you, but we need to be more like the Bereans. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I recommend you do that after I preach this message to you, because some of this may be a little bit off, but I'm doing the best I can from the top of my head. Jehoshaphat, I think Asa was the the great-grandson of Solomon. And, of course, Jehoshaphat begins his reign. At the same time all this is happening, Asa reigned 41 years. On his 38th year, all that happened with Baasha. Jehoshaphat began his reign, and he was 35 years old. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old. And he reigned 25 years. If you read the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and the book of 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, they kind of overlap with one another. Okay, so you can read things about the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, both in 1 Kings and 2 Kings and in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. Okay, keep that in mind as you're going through the books of the Bible. And if you're reading the Old Testament, you can look back and say, oh, well, this happened in 2 Chronicles. And you might get a little bit more of a clearer picture of what's going on in the book of 1st or 2nd Kings. So Jehoshaphat, ran, he reigned 25 years. In this period of time, interestingly enough, Ahab, you know, he was one of the wickedest kings to ever rule in Israel. This is what's happening in Israel. You can read back in the stories of Ahab, and how, you remember the, the story, uh, I guess maybe... Many of us have heard the story of Naboth's vineyard. You remember how Ahab, you know, he went, he coveted that vineyard, and he was, and then he went, and, because Naboth wouldn't sell it to him, he went back and he pouted. Jezebel saw him pouting about it and said, well, I'll fix that. So she had him, you know, killed him, came back and said to Naboth, now you can buy the vineyard, it's yours. And, then, you know, those are some wicked... And also Jezebel was very keen on killing the prophets of God, you know. So keep that in mind. You have Asa and his son Jehoshaphat. At the time Jehoshaphat's reigning, Ahab's reigning in Israel, right? So you have Jehoshaphat in Judah, the southern part, and we have... Ahab in the northern part of Israel, okay? Jehoshaphat had a good reign. He was, he was a godly man, known as a godly man throughout the uh, scriptures. He had some periods of trial and issues that he had to work through as far as his faith and, and trust in God. We're going to break in on 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Uh, let's see, let's go to... Chapter 17 and 18, we're just going to go down through this real quick. Jehoshaphat succeeds Asa in verses 1 through 2. And it talks about his good reign there down in verse 17. If you go through on verse 3 down to verse 19. Here's where the issue comes about. 
Jehoshaphat decides in his mind that I'm going to make an alliance. And because the northern kingdom of Israel, they wanted to kind of overtake what was going on in Judah. He's like, I'm going to make an alliance with Israel. And that's going to save us from a lot of trouble in the future. He was using his, what he thought was a good idea where God wanted him to tr- put his trust and faith in him. Asa, you know, in the midst of everything going on and the, the tension, there was a lot of tension between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. He decided, I'm going to fix this. I'm going I'm to just make an alliance. So he decided, he told Ahab, look, I'll make an alliance with you and we'll, uh, I'll have one of my sons marry one of your daughters. And that's what they would often do in the uh, in days bygone. So Jehoshaphat allies with with Ahab, and that's an example of how we should never we should never give in and ally ourselves, even with the best of intentions and with the best of what we might think is this has got to be this makes complete sense. If it's not in accordance with God's will and our hearts having full trust and faith in Him, we need to be very, very careful that we don't ally ourselves with the enemy, right? So at this point, what happens is uh, Ahab decides he wants to invade a place called Ramoth Gilead. I'm not very uh, certain about this geography and where that's at, but... He decides he wants to do that. Well, he calls on uh, Jehoshaphat, says, come over, help me. You know, look, I want to go over here. I want to take some spoil. I want to take care of these people. And Jehoshaphat says, well, let's, let's see what the Lord says about it. Well, Ahab's false prophets assure victory. Jehoshaphat is privy to Ahab's surrounding himself with yes men. And if you look, uh, let's see. There's a place, I'm trying to figure out where it is. Basically what happens is, Ahab, he's got all these people around him that basically just tell him what he wants to hear, right? So he brings Jehoshaphat in and says, look, i got all these, you know, however many people it is here telling me, we need to go for it. But Jehoshaphat knows a little something. He's, he's, he's in tune with God enough to know that something... I know this guy better than this. He's a real, he's a real trickster. So he decides to tell uh, Ahab, he said, look, don't you have one person? Is there not just one person that speaks for the Lord? And then we read back over, if you want to read over to uh, uh, here, his name was Micaiah. And Okay, verse 6, 18, verse 6. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And what we see here is Ahab had surrounded himself with all the people that... Yeah, that's a good... That, that, that's a good thing for us to remember as people don't be scared of the people that who may cr- be your critics you know we often want to 
it makes us feel good to have people around us that always just encourage us and tell us the things that we really would like to hear. But honestly, is that really good for us? Not really. And unfortunately, in Ahab's case, there was a, his whole life was a, a, a terrible mess, not only because of that, but because he turned his back on God. So they asked Micaiah what they should do. And of course, Micaiah is like, you know, this is the same old thing. This guy is nothing but trouble. So I'm just going to tell him what he wants to hear. And so they bring him in, and Micaiah says, yeah, just go on up. You'll be fine. Nodding at his friend next to him, saying, you know, that's not going to happen. They're going to just get slaughtered. And then Jehoshaphat says to him, says, now look, I want you to tell me the truth. What's going to happen? And he says, y'all are going to be scattered across the hillside. You're going to be killed and obliterated. And uh, unfortunately, Jehoshaphat, I'm not sure why, but it, he didn't take that very, to heart very well, and so he ended up going up with Ahab anyways. The interesting thing about what happened with, with Ahab is he decided, Ahab believed Micaiah. He did. Because what he did was he's like, uh-uh. I'm not taking the chance here, so I'm going to dress up like I'm not a king, like I'm some, you know, uh, regular guy. I'm just going to put on regular armor because I don't want them seeing me because that'll give me a better chance of living through this. Well, Ahab had already been, it had already been prophesied to him that he was going to die and the dogs were going to lick up his blood because of what he had done in the kingdom of Israel. His wife had already been eaten by the dogs, right? So... It's, it's being prophesied that he, that's going to happen to him. Well, he's trying to get out from underneath his judgment, right? Instead of turning to God, he's going to use his own common sense and, and ingenuity to get out of this thing. We ended up, Jehoshaphat and him go out to war, and lo and behold, Ahab's nowhere to be seen. He's dressed up just like a commoner. Who knows where he is? He's out here somewhere. But just as the prophet had said to him, to them both, happened. Here's Ahab riding comfortably in a chariot, just looking like a normal guy. And just out of nowhere, a fella just randomly draws his bow and shoots it up in the air. And where does it land? Right between the chinking on Ahab's armor. I mean, you're talking about a sliver. Who knows how big it is? How would that ever happen? God said it was going to happen, and it happened, right? And, it, and he, he fell back, and he was like, oh, I've been hit. I don't know how. You can imagine what's going through his mind. How did that even happen? How did they know? How did this arrow get right through this tiny little spot right here to kill me? And he ended up passing away in his chariot and dying. The word of the Lord is true and will always come to pass. And no matter what schemes we use to try to get around what God says is going to happen, is going to happen, it's going to happen. The same goes in the, in the end times. No matter what kind of scheming humans come up with, what kind of great ideas, what kind of just fabulous thinking that we have to get around the precepts of God, it will always come to pass. God's word will be true, and it will stay true, and he will be victorious.
So we look on down to, uh, they, so that's over. And after that happened, Jehu, which is not a very good man, came and tells Jehoshaphat, should you help, this is Second Chronicles 19, verses 1 through 4, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord and by doing so bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? But there is some good in you, though, for you have removed the Asheroth. Remember we talked about that. That's the female goddess that they worshipped to from the land and have set your heart to seek God. This is what saved Jehoshaphat. He set his heart to seek God. It was a continual thing in Jehoshaphat's life, and you'll read it over and over and over again through Scripture. The same thing with his father, Asa, and what they also talk about in the life of David. These men, they had, like David, it says he had a heart after God, the man after God's own heart. That's a good question for us. If we really just, let's just break everything down to the nuts and bolts of what's going on in our lives. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where is my heart? And I had to think of this as I was reading through this. I was like, if I just stripped everything away, all these different ideas and things that I think are great ideas and, and my plans and my future and my worries and my troubles, and I break all that down, what does that leave me with? And, and the, ultimately, what you want to be able to say is I am a man whose heart is bent towards God. Jehoshaphat, even though he did veer off course, his heart was after God. You'll see that he responded to that in the right way. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 5-11, through 11, it says that he instituted reforms. So Jehoshaphat, he did the right thing here. He basically, somebody came to him and said, Look, you're do, you need to straighten up. What you just did was stupid, and you need to figure, you need to turn your heart back to God. And he, and he heard this from a man that later on turned out to be a pretty bad dude. Jehu was not the greatest guy. I mean, you can read further on yourself. We don't have time to go into that. But I'm going to tell you right now, that guy was a little bit off. But he, he heard and he listened. And it's very important for us to be very careful to hear the voice of God, no matter who it may be through, for whatever reason, and to stop and to take account of what it is God's trying to say to us. Jehu did, uh, I mean, uh, Jehoshaphat did that, and he instituted reforms. He basically said, look, what we're going to do, I messed up, I was an idiot, that was stupid. I'm going to go around and I'm going to start teaching the people in Judah. So he started sending out guys who knew the Word of God, who knew how to, to put their faith and trust in God. He sent them out all over the land. To teach the people. So we come to another instance here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You can turn over there if you want. Verses 1 through 4. Judah's enemies approach for war. So Judah was prospering to such an extent because God was with them, them through Jehoshaphat's leadership. They were, they were prospering to such an extent that the people around them were getting jealous and they wanted what they had. And, they, and so you had these neighboring uh, tribes, towns, cities, whatever you want to call them. They were looking over there and they were like, that looks pretty good. I think we should go over there and tack. So what happens is you have 
Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, they decided, hey, let's get together. Let's just make an alliance together for this one battle so we can go take them guys out. But I think deep down in the hearts, they knew that God was with them. But here's the interesting part of this story. Jehoshaphat, in the midst of that, he, it says that he turned his, atten his attention to seek the Lord. And verse 3 there of chapter 20, he turned as he was afraid. It says he was afraid. Jehoshaphat was afraid. You know, sometimes we get afraid. Even the most powerful guys get afraid. Jehoshaphat was afraid, but he turned his attention to seek the Lord. And he, and he decided, I'm gonna, everybody needs to fast. Let's fast and pray about this. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. So they started gathering together and like, you know, we, need, we really need to seek God because these people are pretty powerful. I mean, imagine us as, us as a nation. We got China, let's say China and Russia decided, hey, you know, we're going to go over and attack the United States of America. Uh, don't you think he would be a little afraid? Yeah, I think I would be a little bit on edge about that too. And that's the way they felt about it. In the midst of that fear, Jehoshaphat stayed strong because we're going to read a little bit here how that ended up happening. Charles Spurgeon said something about fear. Often it happens that to be saved from the fear of trouble is the main business. To be quieted and calmed and assured is really to be saved from the sting of trial. The trial itself is nothing if it does not bring a sting to your soul. If your heart is not troubled, then there is not much trouble if anything else. All the poverty and all the pain in the world would prevail nothing if the evil of it did not enter into the soul and vex it. Fear cripples us as Christians. We don't need to live in fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, right? We need to work again. This thing of we're scared about what's going to happen. You know, we're looking for a new pastor. Does that bring a little bit of fear? We need to reject that fear. We need to put our full trust and hope in God and say, God, we know you're going to provide in your time, and we believe it, and we're able to trust you for things that we don't see, right? And this is what Jehoshaphat was doing. He's like, we're going to trust God. We don't know what's going to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they put their trust and their faith in God. And then... We read, if you turn, uh, turn over to verse 21 there. Well, let's go back here. So he has a prophet come to him. We don't put our, one thing, we don't put our, as Christians, our faith and our trust blindly in something just because we've come up with it. We put our faith and trust in the promises of God, something that he's already told us, right, to be true. So if we come up with something, you know, some wild idea like this prosperity gospel, you know, God told me I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow because I'm going to win the lottery. You know, what are we going to do? Somebody's going to base that on something that's, you know, they, some idea that they've come up with that was basically based in selfishness, right? Well, Jehoshaphat wasn't doing that. He was basing his faith and his trust in God because of 
things that God had actually told him. If you look back in verse uh, 15, listen, this is what uh, was told him by Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. This is one of the prophets here. He said, listen, all Judah and all inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Okay, this is the prophet speaking to him. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Right? The battle is not yours, but God's. And I believe that Jehoshaphat probably put his full confidence and faith and trust in that. He's like, this man is telling me on the verge of these people coming over and about ready to attack me. The battle is not yours, but God's. And look down in verse 17. You need not fight in this battle station yourself. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Right? It, wouldn't that be an encouragement to you if you knew you were about ready to be attacked by a, an enemy? I mean, war in that time was, it was a bad, bad thing. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff that went on in war back then. I mean, you're talking about losing your family and your friends and your property and your animals and everything you live by and you basically left with nothing. Those were some really trying times. So I believe Jehoshaphat was standing on those promises. And when he, when he came out of that and he said, verse 21 if you go to 2 Chronicles 20, 21, he had consulted with the people. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised Him in holy attire as they went out before the army. So interestingly enough, the Jehoshaphat was so confident in what he was saying that he didn't put the armorers out first. He put the people who praised the Lord and thanked God, right? So he's like, you guys go, can you imagine being one of those musicians and one of those, <laughs> you're going to go out before all the rest of the army here, okay? No shields, no swords, we're going to put you first. But he had that much confidence. He, he placed that much confidence in God's ability to rescue him from that trouble that he put those people out first, right? Praise God for Mark. And uh, so... I tell you, I, this is such an encouraging part of this story to me. And they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for His loving kindness is everlasting. And it says here, When they began singing in verse 22, and praising the Lord, pra singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. It actually says in there that they began to attack each other. This, is ha this has happened more than once in the Old Testament, right? We know of other times in the Old Testament where these enemies began to attack themselves and they began to turn on themselves, right? Well, here it happens again. They didn't even have to fight. God said to them that the battle was His and He was going to fight for them and He did that. All they had to do was honor him and glorify him and thank him and praise him for what he was about to do. They didn't know that. They were doing this by faith, right? They were doing this not because they saw the evidence of what, what had happened. They were doing this by faith in what they believed God was going to do for them. And they thanked God, God for it. How has your Thanksgiving been? Are you thanking God for things in the past? Are we thanking God for the things that he's going to do? Right. 
So let's begin to thank God for the things that he's going to do, right? Praise God for the things that he has done for us and thank him for those things. But we believe that he's going to do greater things. This is, uh, Spurgeon also says in regards to this, this is the way we should deal with God. Before the deliverance comes, praise him. Praise him for what is coming. Adore him for what he's going to do. No song is so sweet in the ear of God as the song of a man who blesses him for the grace not tasted yet. For what he has not got, but what he is sure will come. The praise of gratitude is sweet, but the praise is sweeter, which adores God for the future in full confidence that it shall be well. And uh, there's another fellow who gave some commentary on this. His name is Whitlaw, and he says, Exactly then, when God's people were manifesting forth their obedience, faith, zeal, and holiness, their enemies were destroying one another. The same thing would happen in the experience of the New Testament church, where she, in a similar fashion, to confront her adversaries, first arraying herself in the sacred garments of holiness, next trusting in God for the victories he had promised, in fact, praising him beforehand on account of them, and then going forth to behold them and gather up their fruits. Her enemies, too, would destroy themselves. And we read in that story that not only did God defeat the enemy, but they went in and there was abundance of goods there for them to just get for themselves, right? We have to make spiritual application because we're not out for, uh, we're not here to make some kind of physical kingdom, build all kinds of wealth for ourselves. The spiritual application is, what is your battle? What is the thing in your life that seems to stand in the way of what you want God to do for you? What is that thing? Is it a, something that, is it a battle with, uh, is there a struggle that you're having with a family member? Is there a struggle that you're having with some money problems? Do you have a financial problem? Do you have a physical ailment that you're struggling with? God doesn't always deliver us from those things, but you know what? He'll give us grace through them. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, will abound to every good work, right? How about that promise? God's saying, I will give you everything you need for any problem or any circumstance that you have. All you've got to do is believe me, right? That's where we have the issue. Believing God, trusting God, thanking Him beforehand, believing that He'll rescue us, not necessarily from, from some physical thing. You know, people die of cancer every day. People get sick. They don't get healed. But you know what? It's how you walk through that trial it's how you walk through that battle. What is God going to do? He may, he may save many lives through the example of what you're going through and the difficulty you're going through. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. One of the most challenging scriptures in all of scripture. Rejoice always. Pray continually. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will in you, for you concerning in Christ Jesus. That's, that's a challenging, those are some three of the most challenging scriptures I know in the whole Bible. Rejoice always, 
I, there's times when I don't rejoice. I'm going to tell you, I just get downright mighty stinky with my attitude sometimes. It's not good. I tend to be the kind of guy that my glass is half empty. My wife is the one, she's the one that stays encouraging. She's like, I'm, that's a half full glass. And I'm like, uh-uh, that thing's half empty. You look at that. I could have my van fixed on Monday of some kind of problem, transmission issue. And the very moment I go to pick it up and turn it on, I'm thinking about what's going to go wrong with this thing next. That's, what, that's just the way I am. It's terrible. I hate it. I wish I was different. I wish I had a different outlook. My wife is like, you know, the car breaks down in the middle of the road. She's like, well, at least nobody has crashed into us yet. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, you know, I can't, I don't know how she sees the good in that, but that's kind of the way I am. And I, uh, but God says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Well, I'm glad he said in and not for, right? Amen? He didn't tell us to say, be thankful for everything that I'm sending you. He says, be thankful in what I have you going through, right? So that's actually very encouraging. He's, not ask, he's asking you in the midst of whatever you're going through, whatever, that, whatever trial, whatever battle you're facing, whatever difficulty you're in, be thankful in that. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Those are very challenging. So we want to look at another uh, quickly here. Uh, Paul and I'm just going to give this to you real quick here. Paul and Silas, this is another example. If you look back into Acts chapter 16, they, Paul and Silas are going, they're in a difficult situation. There's this guy, lady who just followed them, and she's saying, they're here to, you know, to show us the right way. And Paul's house says, you know, this is enough. Paul leans back and says, I, I jure you to come out of her. Well, they, people got mad, so they threw him into, they beat him. It says they beat him with many blows, and then they threw him into prison. When they threw him into prison, Paul and Silas began to thank God and praise him. Right? Amen. And here they were in the midst. And I don't think the jails back then were like the jails today. I don't know for sure, but I imagine they were a lot more stinky and there was probably a lot of other things going on that weren't too good back then in those jails. But they began to praise God. You know what happened? Not only did, not only did the chains fall off them, the chains fell off everybody. And the guards in the prison, and the guards started shaking. And, they were, and finally it ended up, what must we do to be saved? And people came to the Lord through that, right? Another situation. Think about this. What, who is, when Jesus, there's three accounts of the, when you look through the Gospels, there's four accounts of the Last Supper. Three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke give very detailed accounts of how, you know, how we take communion. He says, you know, you take the blood, you take the, uh, the, the wine, this is a representation of my blood. You take the bread. This is a representation of my body. Well, in the book of John, we can read just after that happened. In John chapter 4, uh, it's like 14, 15, 16. It's like three or four chapters there. One sitting with Jesus. The interesting thing about that scripture is Jesus, what did he do when he knew, and he knew in his mind what was going to happen to him? He knew he was going to the cross. He knew he was going to be betrayed. 
He knew, he knew that what he was going through would be one of the most difficult things that the most difficult thing that any human being would ever have to go through. He thanked God. He thanked God. He said, when you do this, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, Luke 22, 17, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. Jesus Christ was giving thanks even in the midst of the greatest trial of his life, which he knew was going to be him being taking the sin of the world and being separated from God for our sin. He did this. Psalm chapter 22, verse 3. If you want to just turn over there real quick, we're going to be done. Psalm 22, verse 3. You want to be close to God? Do, you want, do we want to be close to God? You know where He's at? God, and one version of Scripture says He inhabits the praises of His people. Another version says, enthroned. God is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Where is God with us today? We as a church, we're looking for God to move in lots of different things that we got going on. Let's thank Him. Let's praise Him. Let's give Him glory. Let's put our full trust and faith and confidence in Him. Amen? Thank you, Scott, for those, those words. Um, I'm, I'm kind of saying, my, my wife was elbowing me when he was sharing about looking at the glass half full. I'm, I'm kind of that way, too. Been that way for a while, so I'm glad I'm not alone. Uh, we don't have a clock on the wall, so we can take a little bit of time. What are you thankful for as you think of what Scott shared and being grateful? What, what comes to your mind today? Uh, speak up. Scott. Okay. <laughs> and Jamie's got a microphone if, uh, if you want to uh, speak into that video. What, what are you thankful for today? What's... <clears throat> Just speak up. I don't. Second that in that the spirit of the Lord. Scott was filled with the spirit of the Lord today. I do believe, and that's what God wants us all to, you know, seek His word and get filled with His spirit. You know, I was thinking Scott. Scott was sharing about us being thankful now. You know, as believers, we have an advantage to to those people in the Old Testament. We know how the game ends. I mean, God has told us the church is going to be victorious. The only, the only deal is, are we going to be a part of it? But but the victory's been won. Christ won the victory on the cross, and uh, so we don't have to worry about who's going to win. Uh, we we know. That's already been decided. Are we going to be a part of it? So we can be truly grateful for that. 
thankful for health. I think in many ways 2021 has given a reality check to us all, taking us off materialism, focused on simple things like health because of COVID. Um, and um, in some weird way, it's been a blessing in, in the fact that it's stripped away a lot of the materialistic things in our society and, and forced us to refocus on simple things, faith, health, that sort of things. I'm also um, thankful for uh, this church and for everyone that um, donates their time here from the Westbrooks uh, to the Sunday school teachers to Kathy who's been, been up there for however long, 20 years, Jamie and everyone that donates their time here. And had a lot of panic attacks last year and the year before, dealt with a lot of anxiety and um, things like that. And this year, I'm happy to say I'm thankful that it's a lot better. Um, just kind of looking over the past year, uh, past two, two, three years, um, I've been, you know, surrounded by family and thankful, definitely thankful for them, my parents, um, Mark. Um, and this church for being there. You know, you usually don't need people to stand beside you and you just need people there. And I'm thankful that you're, you're there, um, that my family is, is there. And you know, you may not always know that you're helping, but you are just by being present in someone's life who's going through something. And so definitely thankful for all of you and for everybody in my life who's uh, helped me whether they know it or not. Um, this year is a little bit more difficult knowing my grandfather has cancer. Um, but he's, you know, I'm thankful for him and the rest of my family who's still supporting each other and loving each other through that. Um, but yeah, thank you to the, my church family for being my church family. I may not know all of your names, I probably don't, but thank you for loving someone through a hard time, even if you didn't mean to or didn't know it. To be thankful for things that have happened, that are happening right now, like Mark said, just the air to breathe, you know, just look around you and, and just be thankful for the everyday things. Um, and also to be thankful for what God's done in the past when, you know, you get to be middle age and beyond, you really have a lot of history. We can look back and see how God has done things. Uh, many of you know we had a tornado at our farm that was just quite devastating. We lost several family members um, shortly after that or over that same time period. And just seeing how God was with us through all that just sustained us through difficult, difficult things. And um, especially what Scott said about being thankful for what God is going to do. So that's going to be kind of my focus here for the rest of the years, focusing on on being optimistic and looking at what he's going to do for us. I, when we had our business meeting the other week, I, I said then, and I'll say it because more of you are here, I, I know I'll speak for Steve and Scott when I say I'm, we're thankful for Glenn's leadership here. Um, most of you know that well, all, everybody knows that when Dane was here, in addition to preaching, there's a lot of things he had to do during the week. You know, Dane, his job didn't just involve preparing a sermon and delivering on Sunday. So there, 
there are a lot of those things still need to be done. We've been fortunate to get speakers here on Sundays, but there's still that other work, and Glenn was available and willing to take on that role. And so, um, as a, as a part-time paid staff person, he was willing. He didn't ask for it. Um, we begged him, and he reluctantly said, and prayed about it and said, "Yeah, I, I can do that." And so. There were just so many tasks during the week that would be having to be handled by one of us. And so we're just all very thankful that Glenn was willing. And he's doing a great job. So thank you guys for praying for him and us. And it's, uh, we're happy about that. And Jamie, to add on to that, uh, the thankfulness. You know I don't need a microphone. Um, <laughs> um, that uh, we had no idea last year about this time God started putting on our hearts that Glenn needed to leave his job that he was doing from that it was a US based job you know traveling the country and we really didn't know why didn't know what would be coming when we thought okay well he'll be leaving that one and going on to something else and the something else didn't really come for about six months and again we, we were just we've trusted it before when with work you know like Desiree was saying just remember what he's done over the years so we knew that he had something for us because he had been so faithful to us throughout our marriage and, and Glenn's work we had no idea what it was and the 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 next thing didn't come for a long time the thing we thought it was didn't come and then then the you know God put it on Glenn to maybe help out to, to uh, acquiesce to y'all and say I'll be the administrative elder, but we've just been so thankful that he's led us so far and we know he's gonna lead us again. And, and this has kind of been a limbo year for us. We haven't had that much income, but we haven't missed a meal. <laughs> and he's just so thankful. <laughs> so anyway, just to tie into that, so we had no idea when he was leading us out of that, that he was leading us into that. So we're just grateful that God, he sees the end from the beginning. And so we're fabulously grateful. And for the support of our church family. Father, we are indeed grateful for your love and your faithfulness to us. And at the same time, we ask forgiveness for the times when we go through life uh, being so ungrateful. Uh, it's so easy to get so caught up in, in all that is happening around us that we just, well, we become terrible people, really. And we're just grateful that you love us in spite of, of ourselves. Father, help us to, to just take hold of what Scott shared with us this morning as we look back in history and, and as we look back to our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his, his grateful attitude even when he was facing a terrible future. Um, help us to truly be grateful and to be, be just mindful of your presence with us all the time. Father, we thank you for this church. I thank you for each person who is a, is a part of it. Uh, and Father, we just commit our pastoral search to you. We, we know that as much as we care about it, you, you care even more. So Father, help us to trust in you, to wait on your timing, and to just be faithful and be about the work that we need to be doing as, as a church. 
in reaching out into this community and sharing the good news of the gospel. Thank you again for this time we've had to share here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.